When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast as we record on Monday, September 13th, following a Virginia Tech 35-14 to win over Middle Tennessee. Hokies now ranked in the top 15 in this week's AP poll, and they get ready for West Virginia Week coming up on Saturday from Morgantown. We'll go through the entire game from Saturday, look at the good, the bad, some interesting things we saw from the Hokies against the Blue Raiders. All of that and more coming up on episode 190 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in to episode 190 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or if you are watching live on the YouTube channel, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe, and drop some questions for Will and Chris in the chat below. We'll get to those later on in the show. I'm Jake Lyman, across the way, Will Stewart, our founder and general manager. To my left, the lead analyst and columnist for TechSideline.com, Chris Coleman. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best producer in the land once again and the man in the chair today is Nick Brown again he was here last week and he'll be keeping us updated on some stats and everything going on when Justin Fuente takes the podium for his weekly press conference at 1130 want to remind you that the tech sideline podcast is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center make sure you donate to the Southeast Regional Training Center to support one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country you can find more information and donate today at southeastrtc.com and I'm Jake Lyman your host will I want to start with you little new addition to the podcast set today for West Virginia week. Uh, a little bit of decor around Chris in the middle seat. Got a little faux plant life around Chris there with, <laughs> yes. with some accent added, lighting. Added some flair. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're filling in all the dark spots slowly. And, Seems- I'm, and I'm pumped because we've got some uh, – we've, we've ordered a, a – a, I can't prototype – not prototype, but for us it's a prototype boom arm and mic and uh, shock mount setup that – I think you'll see debut with Chris next week. So, uh, you know, we continue to kind of battle the sound issues here, you know, so I think that'll help. seems like every single week when we step on here for our Monday podcast, there's something new. So excited to see the, the new mics coming in. Yeah, so I'm the head honcho, but I do like doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> and and Malcolm does a good job with putting the lighting in and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's the little things. It's always those parts of our job that we enjoy and other parts we don't. Hmm. Well, before we hop into Virginia Tech's win, I do want to jump back to yesterday, Sunday. NFL started, and a couple of Hokies got in on the action, most namely Tyrod Taylor, the starter for the Houston Texans. We talked about him last time out. He looked pretty good for Houston, beating Jacksonville at home. So I, I turned on the NFL Network last night just for a few minutes, and I caught, uh, I, I assume it was their highlight package from the game, and it was Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, yeah, Tyrod did well. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, right. <laughs> he threw he, three picks. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor did. Lawrence did, yeah. not Tyrod, yeah. Tyrod made a really nice throw. It was almost Patrick Mahomes-like, moving to his left, evaded a tackler, and threw it 60 yards downfield to Brandon Cooks. That was his, uh, the throw that put him on the scene at Tech when he was a freshman in 2007. Yeah. Remember, it was the it was a pass against Florida State, a deep ball, where he was rolling to his left, and he threw a deep ball to the corner of the end zone across his body, probably 40 or 50 yards downfield. And that, so, that's when you really like, it's when you realized, wow, this guy's got a, a ton of natural talent. So did anybody actually watch the game? Like he, he, no. I, I've always thought that the one thing he needed to do is be more of a risk taker, give his guys chances to make plays. Did he do some of that that yesterday? Well, that that throw for sure was a risk. He threw it almost into double coverage, but it was a perfect throw downfield. Yeah. I I was watching red zone most of the day, so I saw a bunch of his touchdowns and when they got close to the goal line, but didn't see his entire game. Nice. So. Well, I do want to. Uh, 
start with the Hokies moving into the top 15 in the rankings before we jump into Middle Tennessee. Highest the Hokies have been ranked since back in 2018, I believe, and that was the week of the Old Dominion game. So Hokies are starting to move up in the rankings, moving up four spots in the AP poll, six in the coaches poll, and a chance to kind of put themselves on the scene with a win over West Virginia this week. So, Nick, can you do me a favor and pull up OxVT's Twitter feed? I think he tweeted out that, and he, and he, he included a graphic with it, that Virginia Tech's been ranked every year since 1993 i think with the exception except of for 2015 2015 yeah, yeah. wow yes so that's pretty cool been ranked at least one week yes yeah not not that they at just least started one week or season. Season. yeah confirmed confirmed so so that you said they were ranked 12th going into the odu game yes yeah um, and then never bounced back yeah uh, <laughs> so so was it uh how do I ask this question? Looking back even further than 2015, like how high did they get in some of the rankings? 2012 uh, got to 13th. 2011 got to five. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we we were automatically ranked high at the beginning of every yeah. year back then. Yeah. Like, so what about like 13 and 14? 13 was 16. 14 was 17 after the Ohio State win, and then the loss to ECU. Yeah. All right. So this is, 15th is pretty good. That is a crazy stat, though. I mean, that's almost 30 years in a row, with the exception of one year that you're ranked at least once. I mean, you can argue that's more impressive than the bowl streak, yeah. right? Because like 80 teams were going to bowls, more than 80. At yeah, one you, point. Go, you go six and six every year, you're going to have a bowl streak. So, yeah. so very. So it's impressive. a shame they never got ranked in the 2015 season. Then you 2017 could... <laughs> also got the 12. Uh, so did 18 also got the 12. Too. Okay, all right. So that's what wow. they're shooting for. Yep. Wow. Well, looking at that Middle Tennessee game, maybe a little bit of uh, apprehension from Virginia Tech fans early on in that one. The ODU and James Madison losses may have people feeling a little bit shaky. And right. it was a little bit of a slow start for the Hokies, especially offensively. Couldn't move the ball a little bit. Yeah, um, it was a very vanilla game plan. Uh, for all I know, like they just kept the exact same game plan from the UNC game without changing anything, um, which I expect sometimes that that's what you do if you have a down opponent in between two big games or whatever. Uh, but it was clear to me that they did not think Middle Tennessee State could threaten them because they don't have the firepower offensively. And they can afford to do that this year because Tech's got a much better defense than they have than they had during the 2018 ODU loss, Ugh. of course, or, or last year during the Liberty loss, which it wasn't a functional defense because – you know, they couldn't practice the scheme before the season started, but everything this year is much more functional. Like they could go out there and they just played base defense against Middle Tennessee. There was there was no like I'm not gonna say there was no specific game planning for, for Middle Tennessee because there always has to be some alignment tweaks here and there based on formations. But uh, for the most part, that was just Virginia Tech's base scheme that they would like install and practice in the spring with very little bells and whistles adjusted for a specific opponent. So they they were confident in their ability in their defense's ability to go out there and dominate the game that that they could they could do something like that and which so I mean I think Tech has come a long way in terms of talent and experience on the defensive side of the ball since 2018. So I was thinking about you know I, I went hard to the hole in my prediction I predicted like 45 to 10 I, I wanted to see you know big run up and uh, David and Chris were a little more reserved they were kind of mid 30s low teens I had range. 38 to 10 and mm. before they scored that second touchdown against Tech's second and third string defense it was actually 35 to 7 so I had right. a margin See. right so yeah I wasn't real thrilled with the first half like anybody else and but I've thought about some things since then so I went back and I watched the game last night and you know Tech struggled on offense in the first couple of possessions and uh, the thinking going so so this is one of the things you fall into when you're not real familiar with your opponent like we aren't we we can look at a roster and see who they're starting and how old they are and what their size is but what you can't see is what scheme are they running and so Fuente talked about this after the game uh, uh, Middle Tennessee kind of runs the the pit scheme and you can even argue that it's like an old Virginia Tech scheme where you just put all kinds of guys on the line and you play you know physical press coverage. And so, like, some of the early runs, it was not a case of so, – so the thinking was, oh, they're small and young. We should be able to just run them over. And in watching the, the film, when the running plays didn't work, for the most part, it wasn't a case of a guy 
not blocking well. It was just they had so many guys on the line and so many guys in the box that they were stopping the run. So I felt a little better after watching the game and thinking about it that it, but again that's would i have picked differently if i'd known that that's how they play football maybe because we had come out of the unc game thinking i don't know about the wide receivers yeah you know and and if i had known that they were going to put seven or eight guys in the box maybe i would have pumped the brakes a little bit down into the mid 30s well you know the thing is we don't run uh brandon patterson's previews until friday exactly and he talked about that in his preview yeah. Uh, so yeah, to, I, I think the running game was strong. I think tech has out physical both of their opponents so far at the line of scrimmage, um, which is a good sign. Um, again, like my only negative is, is there's, there needs to be, the passing game needs to ramp up and we can get into this a little more later, uh, if you want to, but the passing game needs to be better. And, and there's multiple things that, that they could do across multiple positions i think to make it better but the bigger issue to me and this is seems to be a trend over the last few years is the the wide receivers are really struggling to get separation get just get away from from cornerbacks you could see burmeister going through his reads and he had time you know yeah. so yeah we'll get into that more later well we can get into it now i mean the the big play was Trey Turner downfield. He had a yeah. big post route that ended up being i want to say 47, 47 yards downfield yeah. but outside of that i you look at that game, there wasn't a lot of those big shot plays from Burmeister because it seemed like nobody was getting separation downfield. They're, they weren't. Uh, Turner's completion that you just alluded to was, was the one and only uh, time that happened. Um, it's, it's interesting. And that was a blown coverage. Uh, I don't know if it was so much a blown coverage. I think he did like a uh, – It's the replay doesn't really make it clear, but I thought he, he juked the guy at the line of scrimmage and got him off balance and then ran by. Okay. But I could be wrong on that. Um it's kind of odd. You know, you look at Tavion Robinson and you see, oh, he's 5'10", he should be a slot receiver. And then Trey Turner, oh, he's 6'2", he should be an outside receiver. And I'm not so sure, like, that Turner wouldn't be more effective in the slot. That play came out of the slot. And he's just so skinny. Like, he doesn't have much muscle mass. So a big, strong corner on the outside can match up and get right in his face and play press man, and he'll struggle to get off the line of scrimmage. But if you line him in the slot, uh, he's off the line of scrimmage, and he can get a running start, and you could even send him in motion and, and things like that. Uh, I think he might actually be more effective as a slot receiver, whereas Tavion's a little more solid, might be more effective as an outside receiver, which is where they're playing him a lot. Now, the issue with Tavion is he's not very fast. He can't burn anybody. Quick, but not fast. He's quick, yes. but not fast. Yeah. Um, they had a play on, on Saturday where he was matched up one-on-one on the outside, and, and you know, Tech checked down to it, and it was man coverage, and there was one option. You throw to Tavion Robinson. That was the play, and everybody else is a dummy route, and, you know, he just couldn't get by the cornerback. And, you know, I don't know if – this is true, but Bill Roth is a professional who does his job, so I assume it is. But Middle Tennessee starting corners were out with COVID protocols. So, so that's that, their backups. Right, so that's a problem. Wow. Now, I do think the secondary is the strength of their team. Their safeties are very, very good. Yeah. Blake and Chip is like a six, it's going to like be a five-year like starter. A, yeah, but, and, but, and a mid-round pick, right, right, I think but, he's predicted. Right, because he's taken advantage of his, of his – uh, COVID year this yeah. year, right? Uh, a poor guy had to quarantine for 48 days last year. Due Bill to told that story reason. twice. Uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> he, he had to stay in his apartment for 48, 48 days. 48 days. While you're recovering from a broken leg, yeah. by the way. Oh, so my gosh. That guy deserves to get – wherever he gets drafted, he deserves it. Mm. Um, but I do think that's the strength of their team. Uh, but at the same time, you're, you're a little disappointed and – uh, and fans, obviously, the first thing they look at is star ranking. So when you have two former four-star receivers, you're starting wide receivers, and they're kind of struggling to get separation against middle Tennessee wide receivers, that, that becomes disappointing. And uh, But I think that that's kind of a trend, uh, and I think that's something they'll have to evaluate in the offseason. I, I think when you look up and down the Virginia Tech roster, you've seen defensive backs like Jermaine Waller and Caleb Farley and Shamari Connor improve tremendously from their freshman year to later in their careers. And James Mitchell and and 
and Christian Derisaw, and yeah. y- you can go up and down the line. Plenty of defensive linemen that are just much better football players as juniors and seniors. Taiwan Garbett's another one, a good example. Uh, Be- Belmar before Belmar he got before hurt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, guys just improved a lot from when they were freshmen to where they are or were later in their careers, and. You don't see that from the tech wide receivers. Uh, I'm not going to say those guys haven't improved, but their improvement has been marginal. For the most part, they're, they're kind of the same guys they were as freshmen. And you don't want the same thing to happen to Dwayne Lofton and Jalen Jones and Jaden Payute. So that's something that's going to have to be looked at in the offseason, uh, I think, in my opinion, a thorough analysis of wide receiver development. At well, I think that's Tech. fair. Yeah. yeah. I agree, and I think you looked at Tavion Robinson. His big play was the touchdown that opened up the scoring on Saturday, and it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong, they had to scheme him open on that kind of a that, little. That they do, that that was normal. That was a well. That's a base play that Tech runs in in the red zone. I don't recall the play. Uh, uh, gosh, and I rewatched. Well, it just he was last he night. was the slot receiver, and uh, I guess it was Caleb Smith on the outside, and Caleb Smith ran a slant route but in reality he was not he was picking he, he basically was, he was just picking the the nickel back yeah. and, and creating space and he barely actually oh, touched that, yeah that was the fade yeah. real he, nice he, he played he played it really well um generally speaking you see contact on that play and you're always kind of worried that they're going to throw an offensive pass interference yeah. uh caleb smith ran it really well like he got in the guy's way without hitting him and and made the guy just adjust his route so that and tavian yeah. shook, shook loose from him I, I think tavian was ahead of him anyway but uh, yeah, that's a common route for Tech. That that's a tough, uh, tough play to stop if the receiver runs the route correctly and and the ball's on the money. And the officials are generally very forgiving where that's concerned. If you don't yes. out and out run into the defensive <laughs> back, they let you get away with yeah. it. You know, and, and I go, I go back long enough to where I remember a time where that play didn't exist, and now every every team runs that kind of play where you cross two receivers. And it, it's a bang-bang play, and it's a really difficult play for the defenders to make. You'd be interested in knowing when that started. It had to be like somebody tried it in a game one time, and then and, they've realized, oh, the refs aren't going to call that. <laughs> and then everybody else probably just slowly picked up on it. Yeah, there's just, you know, there, there's there's been a general movement for a long time now to to favor the offenses in, in certain situations. They, they get away. They get away with a lot more holding than they used to, you know, when I was young and, and played football. And I, I remember when, when I played football and I was a kid, I was an offensive lineman, and we were taught to put the arms in here and block like this. You, you know, and these days they're getting – they're taught actually, to get the hands inside and grab. Yeah, so you couldn't use your hands. That's how you – We were taught not to use our hands. Huh. Wow. And, and the funny thing is um, – it's Little League football. It's not like the refs are even going to see it. You know, of course, yeah. I'm a moron. I play by the rules. I should have been grabbing kids and throwing them down all over the place. <laughs> well, I think that play specifically maybe caused the entire Virginia Tech fan base to exhale because before that, it was a scoreless game yeah. late in the first quarter, and Braxton Burmeister had just left the game. He comes back in first play as, he, as a touchdown pass to Tavion Robinson. I think maybe there was a little bit of uh, – everybody's a little bit scared when Burmeister went down and – had to come off to the sidelines. You know, from the stands, that, that happened right in front of me. And I look down, and he's got – when you see, like, his arms on the ground and his palms are straight up, right? So I thought he was knocked out unconscious. Wow. So I was really surprised when he came back in the game. But it turns out it was just a stinger. But just the way his body looked, sprawled out, he looked like he'd been, he'd been knocked unconscious. Uh, I can't imagine what, like, a stinger to your shoulder feels like. Ugh. Or your throwing <laughs> shoulder. Yeah. It's a boot, you know? Yeah, and then he comes in and he throws that dime, and, and you know, I, I listened to him closely in the post-game interviews. He sounded sharp. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah I, I did too. Yeah, he sounded No fine. slurring. Uh, didn't sound no, loopy yeah, or He wasn't like slurring that. as well. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a tough dude, man. Like, you would think after you go through something like that, the next time you scramble down the field, you might be a little more hesitant. He was diving right in there head first the rest of the game, which – Man, save that for when you really need it. There, 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 there's going to be a time this year where to win a football game, you know, he's going to have to, uh, you know, dive head first like that to pick up an Take extra couple home. yards. I don't want him doing that against Middle Tennessee. Like, I don't care if Tech beats Middle Tennessee forty-two to seven or twenty-eight to fourteen. <laughs> just, just win the game and and don't take unnecessary risks like that. And I think you're right. I think it might have been the second play of the next drive. He lowered the shoulder trying to get a first down. <laughs> I was like, calm dude, down, dude, quit that. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think we expected to see three quarterbacks on the field for the Hokies on Saturday. Knox Kadem obviously had to come in when Braxton Burmeister got hurt, but Connor Blummer comes in, can kind of be that Swiss Army knife, maybe take the place of where Quincy Patterson was. You know, I, I think uh, I, I liked when they let Bloomer score the touchdown because at that point, um, Burmeister had already been hit on his shoulder. And you're like, okay, if you're going to run it in with a quarterback, let somebody else do it and save some wear and tear. It's, you know, Blumrick, it's like they show no signs of letting him throw the football, right? So right. He's just, Fuente says he can, but like I said I mean, last week, pay attention not to what he says, but what he does. He can throw it. Can he pass it? I think he'll throw a pass at some point this yeah. year. Um, the uh, smoke and mirrors running play, the, the fake rocket motion to, uh, to pay, pay yeah. which, I mean, worked perfectly. That wasn't about getting an extra touchdown against middle tennessee that was about putting that play on film before the west virginia game i agree agree. do we have any clue if that was a read and he went with it or uh, you think it was that way all the way uh i don't know but but i do know if you're listening ask fuente that question i I do know you have three options on that play and i don't know if this is quarterback option i expect it's play call option because this isn't in this particular play tavion was blocking downfield and not running a route which which side on the right. He was a lead okay. blocker. Where, 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 Tavion had an amazing run blocking score this week. It was like 86 really? or 87 really? or something. Yeah, cool. Tex receivers are really – for whatever their inability to get open, they're really they good blockers, block. yeah, uh, which is important. Um, but, you know, you could uh, potentially pitch that ball to Jaden Payute on the rocket motion. Uh, you could run it like he did. Or you can call that as a passing play where Tavion or whichever wide receivers on that side – Goes down the field, fakes his block, and then keeps running. And then your quarterback is rolling out to his right, and he can throw. He's throwing on the right side of the field. So, so you have that puts in their head. There are three different things you can do. Right. It's on, so so at first I was thinking, oh man, you wasted that play against Middle Tennessee. You got but, two but other things you can point. do off of yeah. it. Yeah. And I like you invoking Quincy Patterson's name because I <laughs> felt like I felt like that play with Bloomrick was way more complex and interesting than anything they ever ran with Quincy. With Quincy, it was just take the ball and run up there. Except for the one against North Carolina. Where yes. he rolled right and threw left. No, where he, oh. where he, where he went out, oh. planted his foot. And, right. Well, that was nah, – see, there was nothing intricate about that play. It was a base – But it wasn't just up the middle. I was right. painting a picture <laughs> but of But it was still the most basic power play you could possibly do. Well, I, was, I followed Quincy's mom on Twitter – and uh, I didn't realize I still did, but but last night I'm just going through Twitter, and all of a sudden I'm getting all these North Dakota State highlight retweets. I'm like, why? <laughs> why am heck? I seeing this on my Twitter feed? And because they won like 62 to nothing or something wow. like that. And uh, he had some highlights, and he's just running for 60 yard touchdowns, and those little tiny FCS guys can't do anything about it. <laughs> oh man, I hope I get to see one of those games <laughs> this year. I gotta I gotta pull that stuff up on ESPN Plus or whatever they're calling it. Well, and I think the difference between Blumrick and Quincy Patterson is maybe that they trusted Quincy Patterson if they if he had to throw the ball, they knew he could. Fuente says he can throw the ball, but you would assume almost anybody on the team can throw it. Do you think they trust him to throw it? He, you can throw it, but can you pass it? And there's there's a big difference. Like there's been plenty of guys in the world with great arms, but they they just weren't good in the passing game when it comes to timing or just the feel of the game and everything like that. And the, I would assume that's that's what what held Blumrick back at Texas A&M because when I saw him in the preseason, I thought his arm was strong enough. Right. And he's obviously a good athlete and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's one of those guys that can certainly be effective on plays where you've got one read. Um, I think he can be an effective player when, when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, I think Tech wants a little more from their quarterback play this year yeah. and in the future because they've been one read you know for the last couple of years with, with, with hooker and then with burmeister last year not knowing the offense yet um they're a multi-read offense now or at least it seems like that way to me in the passing game it's just uh you know that first read's not getting open and he's looking down to a second read he's also not open and uh there, there there's some trust issues i mean you talk about him Sometimes he does seem to hesitate and not fire the ball in there, and I'm changing the topic of conversation back to Burmeister again. <laughs> Some of that is is due to him, like it, like they're not getting open, and those timing routes are based on trust. Like you have to throw that ball before the receiver makes his break, 
before he gets separation. And those guys, they're not getting separation, so there is a trust. There is a lack of trust there, it but, seems. But to me, it's everything. You're, you're, you're correct on that. And then there was a play um, that, I, that I noticed. In, I also think he's missing receivers. Yeah. There's yes. a play I noticed in particular where um, in, in, in they snapped the ball and Gallo went to the right and uh, Burmeister briefly looked in his direction, then looked somewhere else, and Gallo was open like eight ten yards downfield standing on the sideline by himself and, and Burmeister ended up scrambling to the right and then throwing it out of bounds Was that yes the play you're that's the about? play yes. so he, he never saw Gallo so there's also that and then they talked about uh um in the post game I I, I heard uh I heard Burmeister in the car and I think I watched Fuente's uh portion later on YouTube they actually put it on YouTube which I didn't think they were doing anymore but um they both talked about he's not firing the ball in there. And, and in some cases, and it gets back to what we were saying about Tyrod, Tyrod not, you know. So they're, you're, you're and, it, and then it goes way back into the beginning of the podcast when you said they're trying to figure out what can the, these receivers and this quarterback do. Together. Yeah. Like what are they both good at so they yeah. can so they can combine that all together. Um, you know, the, there's, there's a happy medium that you want to find, like – you don't want Ryan Willis always, right? Right, right. Or even like like Brewer was a gunslinger, man. Yeah. And and, and yeah. but you know sometimes that got him into trouble, and he would throw. Well, picks. the Georgia Tech game, right? Where he threw that right. pick that basically lost the game, right? So yeah. that's what you get, and and you know he's gonna you're gonna he's you're gonna take some chances and make some throws, and and you're gonna make some big plays out of him. But every now and then, you know, it's gonna cost it's you. gonna cost you a game. And, so, and you you may see more of that as the season goes on. You know, you know, Burmeister taking risks that that wind up hurting him. So, if they tell him to take more risks, he'll listen to them. Yeah, but it all it's also could mean more mistakes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. It's hard to picture a football coach telling his quarterback to be a little more careless with the ball. But, <laughs> so I, I put this I put this uh, stat on Twitter. Uh, Virginia Tech's opponents in 21 possessions have not started on Tech's side of the field. So far, Tech has one turnover. Is that right <laughs> on the season? Yes, I believe yeah. Keyshawn's fumble. The, the Keyshawn fumble. No, no, no Burmeister threw an interception. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so let's throw the other stat out there. Tech is uh, tied for second in the country in penalties per game. Yeah, Tech's doing everything right from uh, in the little things this year. And, and as the far special as, teams or yeah, yeah, playing small ball. Like, there's another rule that I learned from watching J- James Sheba's teams play special teams is that. You can fair catch a punt that bounces. Interesting. Yes. Tavion did Tavion that. Tavion did Saturday. that. Yeah. yeah, quick wave and. and I had no. I, I don't think I had any idea that you could fair catch a punt that bounced. Huh. Uh, there have been several rule, special teams rules that I've learned over the last five or six years just from uh, watching Virginia Tech play special teams. It seems like Sheepus knows all these little small rules that nobody knows, and and then you see our players do it. Like at Notre Dame, when uh, there was a short kickoff. And our return man, our up man, he stuck his feet out of bounds and then reached down and grabbed the football. And, and that gave a, Tech at the ball at the 35-yard line. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, like, right. I never would have guessed. Never right. would have guessed. Um, so you like to see them winning hidden yardage games like that because you never know when that will win you a football game. It might have won them the UNC game just based on UNC's starting field position for the entire game. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that hidden yardage stuff that is that is so important. And, and I forgot to look and see how many penalties Middle Tennessee had, but it was a lot. Yeah, and, and some, were, and and some critical ones, ones too. too. Yeah. Yep. Well, it does seem overall, just through two games, very few mistakes from Virginia Tech. on In all three phases of the game, you can look maybe North Carolina, they misplayed that screen. But outside of that, there haven't been that many errors on either side of the ball. Yeah, they've played clean games, and – you're not going to play like 12 clean games throughout the season where you're really where you dominate the turnover margin and the time of possession and everything goes right for you. Um, it's just when is that bad game or two going to happen? I hope it's against Richmond and not because WVU Rich- or, yeah. or Miami. Yes. Exactly. yes, yeah. So the Twitterati is already marking the fact that I said that about penalties. <laughs> and no starting doubt. on the side of the field, they're like, "Okay, it's going to be your fault." You're you're hoping the mistake-filled game is one you can actually win with yeah. all of those mistakes. So yeah. Richmond may be the answer there. 
I think it's a good time to take our break here on episode 190 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we're going to go through special teams, which made a big impact on the game on Saturday. The defense had a few players who had some big games, and we're also going to go through young players who came in later on that maybe impressed Will and Chris. Make sure you stay with us here on episode 190 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We'll be right back. We welcome you back on episode 190 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We apologize for the longer-than-normal break. If you were watching on YouTube, live, or archived, you can see that Chris Coleman is now holding his own mic. A uh, little bit of technical difficulties during the break. I'm sorry. I think this is funny. <laughs> Chris doesn't think it's funny. I don't think I it's think funny. It's... <laughs> Ideally, we would like to spell, sell a sponsorship for the podcast one day, and maybe that does, doesn't work if our mics are falling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, plus Chris almost got decapitated by the uh, clamp flying off the table. Yeah, it almost it almost like slingshotted off Zing. the table. I, I don't think I want you to put any of that extra stuff up here that you've been talking about. It's probably See, now just going to fall paranoid. off and take me out. Uh, you're going to be like that cat that was hanging off the uh, – what is it? Hard Rock Stadium? Yes, the hard, yeah. Caught by the American flag. <laughs> sort of. He kind of went through the flag. He, he lived. One guy on the corner didn't hold up his corner very well. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> there was a cat in a precarious position at Hard Rock Stadium at the Miami Hurricanes game the yes. other day. You can you can find it on my Twitter feed. I retweeted it. This cat fell a, a long way. You know that whole that whole poster thing of just hang on, just baby? Hang on. Well, the cat couldn't hang on. <laughs> it did its best for a while. It was clinging on for dear life for probably a minute. Minute and a half. It must have fought. What was that? Thirty or forty feet? That cat mm-hmm. fell. Yeah. How yeah. did he get there in the first place? Is the better question. Uh huh. Right. Cats. He on. got to the upper deck somehow, and then out on a line. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's make the second half of this podcast somewhat short. You have no idea how it, difficult it actually is to hold this thing. Oh, yeah. Those things are heavy. Well, and, and... We've gotten through offense. Let's go to special teams now. Uh, a little bit of beamer ball on Saturday against Middle Tennessee. The opening kickoff goes back across midfield, and then Tavion Robinson really got things going in Tech's direction with a long punt return, almost took it to the house. Do you think those two guys, King and Robinson, can be the explosive guys in the return game that the Hokies need? Uh, you left out the one where King barely got tripped. Yes. Right. Well, that yeah. got too. called back for a penalty. Oh, yeah. that's true. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So that anyway. but, but yet at the same time, you know, he shows – you know, he's making the right – he has the right vision, I think, for kickoff return and things like that. Ian uh, Blackshear is trying to hold him back on that play also. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> that, 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 I remember that. <laughs> so Blackshear's no, no, going, no, no, don't no. run, don't, don't run, run, and out. King runs by him. And yeah. Blackshear's like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> um, Robinson's punt return was for, what, 44 yards? Yeah, he was backpedaling inside the 10. He was across midfield. So. Well, so, Tech only right. had, I believe, 59 yards or something like that in punt return yardage last year. The entire season. Yes. So th- to have forty four on one play, that's a that, credit that's a to Andy Bitter for that. For, uh, uh, yeah, that was stack. that Andy? Yeah. Well, I think that's important because Tavion Robinson seemed like he lost a lot of his confidence in the return game last year. It seems like he's got a lot of that back, kind of likening back to his freshman year when he was explosive back there. Yeah, um, and he talked about that um, in the preseason. Wanted to get back to his freshman form, and he flat out admitted that like he took it for granted and maybe didn't work as hard on it last year as, as some others. Well, and, and I remember you said that in an earlier podcast, and my first reaction was, what? And then I remembered, you know, COVID. It, it affects everybody. I'm, I'm not going to judge him too bad. What anybody uh, did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Maybe he didn't. There were certain practices where he didn't even have a punter to punt to him because <laughs> of COVID. I mean, I'm serious. It's, it's possible. It's true. Yeah. That's some GA throwing him a football in the air. Well, the special teams definitely helped, but it was really the defense that helped the Hokies kind of pull away. There was a couple of issues with blown coverages at times. Some wide receivers ended up getting down the field, which we didn't see against North Carolina. But one big thing I took in the secondary is that Jermaine Waller seems to be right back where oh, he was yeah. in 2019. Yeah, um, and as far as the coverage goes, Tech mostly played like a very base zone. Yes. So there there was there was a little bit of space between the safeties and the cornerbacks and you saw them and, and the corners played off the yeah, ball. Right, and, right. Yeah. So, so so did you notice uh if, if you watched the replay there was a play where 
um, it was probably third and eight or something like that. And Chapman backpedaled like 12 yards off the ball. Yeah. And came up to make the tackle, but Middle Tennessee picked up the first down. And then Chapman started kind of fussing at his sideline. And then he, and it was very quick and very subtle. But Eddie Royal, who, who was a color analyst, and I thought Eddie did a good job. Eddie caught it. He's he's like Chapman looks like he's upset that he's not being allowed to to get up and play closer and play press coverage. Well, they're they're going to mix up their coverages a lot more against West Virginia this week. Yeah. I'm sure they will. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Like I said, it was everything about that game was vanilla. Oh yeah, and on both sides, very of the very ball. little blitzing but, on defense. Yeah, yeah. To your point about Waller, yeah, that dude is is. If anybody on this team, their NFL stock has done like that through this year, it's him. I mean, he was already a really good corner before, but he was overshadowed a bit by Caleb Farley. Yes. Um, but both both of his picks this year have been elite interceptions, yeah. like top notch. Especially the one against Middle Tennessee. You know, he was in the, he was defending the slot receiver on the left side of the field, had to run with him on a crossing pattern all the way across the field, and then undercut him to get that interception. He basically I mean, ran the route for him. Yeah, that was an amazing play. Nick, can you do me a favor and and see if you can find a listing of interception leaders for Virginia Tech year by year. Um, I think if you go to Hokie Sports and, and find more and go to I the record. Hosley leads that all time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in knowing because Waller's got two in two games. When was the last time somebody had five or six or seven? You know, Gene, you guys, gosh, I barely remember this from when I was a kid, but, but Gene Bunn is still Virginia Tech's career interception leader with 18. And then they didn't throw the ball much back then. He did that in three years. Wow. Back when they didn't throw the ball very much. So. Yep, J. Ron Hosley. 2010 had nine, and then Ron Davidson back in 1967 with nine. And then career is nine. That's incredible. In what year? 1967. Uh, And then J. Ron Hosley, which year? 2010. Didn't he pick off Russell Wilson like three times in one game that year? Was that that year? Yep, he nailed that. Yep, 2010. So what about since? What's the most since 2010? Looks like Kendall. um, With what, five? Yeah. Wow. All right. So Waller in that conversation early. I mean, he's on a good pace. Hey, if he gets nine, we'll win a lot of games. Yeah, that's uh, and that's like a year when Tech had twenty-two or some insane number. Yeah, like that, that 2010 year was insane. Yeah, I think one of the trends I noticed on defense on Saturday is that the team is playing very fast. You look at Waller and Chapman, Dax was all around the ball, Jamari Connor, uh, Nasir Peoples. It seemed like all of them were just flying to the football and making plays all day long. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I thought they do have speed in most positions, uh, I I would say. Um, I don't think they're elite. I don't think they have elite athleticism at defensive end outside of Barno. Um, But uh, other than that, yeah, I do, I do think they're, they're a defense that does have range and, and solid athleticism. And that's even without, you know, Keontae Jenkins yeah. out there for this game, who is probably, I would guess, the fastest, like, straight-ahead wow. speed of all hmm. the safeties, if I had to guess. I don't know. But I, I thought Peoples played well again. He did He did kind of get lost in coverage the one time on the zone. But, again, Tech's going to mix up their coverages more against West Virginia this week. So I'm not taking a lot out of that one. Um, but I, I think, yeah, they do run to the ball. Um, I think, well, you're seeing the differences in, quite frankly, of what it's like to be able to practice a new scheme and not being able to practice it. I mean, it's just it's, – it's a lot easier to play when you know what you're doing. You can look a lot faster. Like, the, like Tech's defense, it didn't look fast last year because, because those guys thinking. didn't know what to do. Yep. It seems like they were playing more on Saturday than thinking about, okay, where do I need to be? It was sure. just go, go get yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about the middle linebacker position. Yes. Um, I was uh, I, I kept my mouth shut when we talked about Dax before the season. Um, <laughs> just just not sure if the switch to Mike would would really be that different. The early returns are yes. He's you know if, if I think he's looked much more decisive mm-hmm. in the running game. His rush defense grade is is up. Um, he's graded out the first couple of games on PFF as good or better than than individual games of previous years. Yeah, yeah. And it, granted, it's only two games, but his season grade so far this year is higher than he's had at any point in his career, and in particular the run defense is better. So I think he's looked good. And so tell me if you agree with this, Chris. I, I see Hamilton doing two things that Bud typically didn't do. Um, number one was he tends to pull the mic 
more often He'll do it in a passing lot. downs. And, you know, once we let the evidence add up, like what's the cutoff point for that? Is it like third and six right. or longer? Or I'm not sure about that yeah. yet. Um, but I think it's – I definitely think he is more open to getting out of his base scheme in specific situations. Yeah. Um, you know, Bud did have a dime package that he would break out – for certain teams and certain opponents, if they had a really good passing quarterback, he could bring in a, you know, like Chicago back in 2016 yeah. and 2017 was the guy in that role. Um, Hamilton seems like he's going to do it more. You know, Hamilton played in Bud Foster's scheme, but he also played in the Saban Belichick scheme when he was in the NFL. And, you know, he's coached at some other places. So Was that when he was with the Browns? Was Belichick with the Browns? Was Belichick that... was not with the Browns, but somebody, Romeo Cronell, I believe, was with the Browns, was the Browns coach then. And he came out of that tree. Yeah. The Saban-Belichick okay. th- tree. Okay. And, you you know, you can see some elements of 3-4 in, in tech scheme. I mean, yeah. they've got one of their defensive ends standing up a lot. Sometimes they'll drop him back into coverage. So, uh, you, you're seeing – You'll see some of Bud Foster, but I don't know that I don't know that you'll be able to. Outside of, you know, there'll be games you know where Tech will man up with their cornerbacks on the outside. They didn't do it against Middle Tennessee, but uh, they'll spend the whole game manning up at cornerback on the outside, like against UNC. But other than that, I don't don't know that you'll see a whole lot of similarities between Justin Hamilton's scheme and Foster's scheme. Yeah. So the other thing he did was I was very surprised to see Keyshawn Artis play and play early. So he, he did. I saw, I saw him out there in the second quarter, yeah. Yeah, and he was in for multiple series in a row, and I, I don't think Dax was hurt or anything like that. Well, he just he doesn't play Dax's position. He uh, plays Tisdale's position. Oh, he's a backer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Tisdale has not graded out That's well. It's funny because he looks like a Mike. Oh, I know, I know. That, 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 that was I was surprised a little bit when that move was okay. made. Uh, Tisdale did not grade out well this game again for the yeah. second game in a row. Uh, yeah. Didn't, for whatever reason, he's just didn't see – doesn't seem to be playing – as, as well as I thought he would play right. th- this year. Um, uh, artist, artist graded out really well, in, did. In, especially in pass defense, which is where you might think that might, might be a weakness in yeah. backer. Um, so that's that's something to watch for. Right there may be other teams that, that can pick on him more. As, as more mm-hmm. film gets out there, they, they may see him and go after him. I don't know. He he may be good. I may just be totally it's wrong. It's hard to say. Uh, Dean Ferguson also played a decent number of snaps at yeah. Mike. I believe around twenty between twenty and twenty five, and he graded out pretty well. Like he was only like narrowly behind Dax in, in his overall grade. Yeah, and Dax I think and these are preliminary grades. Yes, and, uh, I think Dax for, graded out sixth on the defense. Yeah, something so, like that. So he's having a good year. So so far, two games in, I feel better about that position. Well, that brings me right into where I wanted to go. We talked about back on Wednesday, young players you wanted to see in the game. Who impressed you that came in later on that fourth quarter when the Hokies were able to empty the bench a little bit? Hmm. Well, I I think Dean Ferguson looks the part out there. Uh, I saw some quickness out of McCray, although he's still not big enough and he needs to redshirt. It only took me... Hmm. 50 minutes or so to say that. 50, 52 minutes. 52 Although minutes. we started a little yeah. late, so probably 50 minutes. Yeah. Uh, with the, uh, Cole Nelson, I, I did think, looked look fine. Um, and he, he can help the team this year. Carroll, Matthias Carroll got out there, a defensive end, but he needs to redshirt because he's not going to be big enough. I think he could also play against Richmond, but then other than that, just, just redshirt him. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and don't play him. Panay got in there at defensive tackle, and I, I don't think that's because – they're they're looking to play him at defensive tackle. I just think it's right now they're so thin on backup defensive tackles they don't have any choice. If they want to get all their backup, all their freshman defensive ends in the game, then one of them's going to have to play defensive tackle because they don't really have any defensive tackles outside their top five, and and even outside of their top five, or even outside of their top four. Like I don't know where Max Philpott was on Saturday. Like, normally you would expect him to be the fifth defensive tackle. I didn't see him out there, so it means maybe he's hurt. So, Panay was actually their fifth defensive tackle on That's Saturday. Right. And their sixth defensive tackle was uh, – oh, my gosh. Will, you, you don't Is have, it not listed on the uh, – Nig- Nig- Nigel Simmons. Yeah, was, that's right. Yeah, yeah, who, who has been a defensive end in the past. Yep. And I don't think they really view either one of those guys as defensive tackles. They just have to play him there because they, they don't have anybody else. Yeah, yeah Simmons is 6'2", 6'2", 6'2", Right. So that's all very insightful commentary, but what I was really thinking was when Chris says red shirt, we need to install red lights and sirens that go off. <laughs> now, the other thing is he, he says smoke and mirrors a lot. Yeah. We need a smoke machine on the floor yeah. that when Chris says smoke that's and mirrors, it just idea. goes whoosh. 
action shoots smoke up on Yeah, we just need to him. get some buttons over to Malcolm to do that. Just right. pay attention, red shirt. Get the red lights going. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe we should fix our microphones first. <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> I, so, Somehow I think smoke machines uh, would somehow end up as like going off as bombs all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a smoke detector right there. Uh, oh, can you yeah. picture? I don't, I don't think that there, would go there's, well. There's, oh, there's a, one uh, right above. Yeah, a sprinkler. Yeah, yeah a sprinkler. A sprinkler. That, that would just... Don't think that would be a great idea. Whew. Say goodbye to the television if that sprinkler goes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all we need to do for the red shirt is just change these white lights and, and make it maybe get a lo- different setting. And you can click it, just get the red light. Yes, that's true. So is anybody on YouTube right now saying, this is why I'm here for that kind of stuff? <laughs> Nick's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody on there praising <laughs> Everybody's like, finally, they're joking around after an hour. Well, let's jump into some YouTube questions since uh, we've got Nick over here looking at it. Anybody asking anything good in the YouTube chat? Uh, not, not many crazy uh, questions today. Um, a lot of them looking forward to the West Virginia game. Um, uh, nothing was. The well, big we- one was a lot of people were surprised that you played offensive line. Right. So uh, when I was a kid um, – I, I, <laughs> so I started playing football in fifth grade and, uh, gosh, how do I put this? When I was a kid, I had a big butt, which is funny because I don't now, I don't have a butt. So I, I think that, I think it just came in at a certain size and stayed there. But I just, I, I do remember the first week of practice, the coach looking at me and I think how he phrased it was, you got a low center of gravity. <laughs> Plus, I was a pretty decent bench presser when I was a kid. So, you know, offensive line. And um, I was not tall, but I was not short, you know. So, the uh, I remember the weight limit back then was 135 pounds. And I weighed 125 and had a big butt. So, onto the offensive line I went. <laughs> I played guard for four years of 5th, of 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Then when I played ninth grade, they put me at center. And that was bad. That that was our football team was really awful and and I remember again this is why you're here everybody <laughs> I, I remember boy my ninth grade football coach did not like me for some reason and and I remember at one point we we sucked and we used to be getting blown out all the time and there was some game where we were losing by four five six touchdowns and he, the coach literally goes is there anybody who hadn't played. Now, this is a team where they stuck all the skinny kids who hadn't gone through puberty yet. They all played wide out. We must have 14 (laughs) wide outs, right? We got two centers, me and a guy named Chris Williams, and I backed Chris Williams up. And the coach is like, is there anybody who hadn't played yet? And guess who was the only kid on the sideline who hadn't played yet? Me. So I raised my hand. He's like, all right, go in. And I'm trotting in, and I'm thinking – yeah, I need to not play football anymore. <laughs> it's not just this coach. I'm getting, I'm getting too small, too slow, and too nice for this game. So that's play, my football story. I played one year of tackle football when I was in sixth grade, and I was the quarterback. And one of our last games, we played a team that was just – they were bigger than us. They were better than us. And every time I went back, we only ran play-action passes. So I would turn, fake the handoff, and immediately I was in the dirt. And that yeah. was when I decided I didn't want to play football anymore. <laughs> so I assume you couldn't run the ball. So why run play-action passes if you're well, we, running team? We could run the – well, yeah, we couldn't run the ball against them. Right, Th- right, this team, right. I want to say it was a rainy, cold day, and I want to say they beat us 56 to nothing or something See, like at that, that point, if you can't establish a running game, there's no point in, 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 in <laughs> running, running a bunch of play-action play passes. Well, we had, I would argue that you weren't a very well-coached team. No, we, <laughs> we had one passing play with three routes, three crossing routes at different uh, distances, and right. I would just roll out and – throw to one of them that was, that was our one passing play yeah so uh i went to albemarle high school in charlottesville in albemarle county and and that ninth grade football team that went zero and ten became a a football team my senior year that went zero and ten and you telling that story reminds me of our quarterback a guy named tark steinberg who, who grew up in my neighborhood kind of across the street just a phenomenally shifty athlete and that's why we put him at quarterback because I remember watching him, he would pull away from center and start to backpedal, and just like you, he was already being chased. You know, so it was his our that entire zero and ten year was Tark <laughs> running from the defense, just turnstiles on the offensive line, just let him go by. So we're killing time until the eleven thirty press conference starts. <laughs> big uh, news, well, big news. Richmond game noon kickoff. Surprise, surprise. Right. What uh, uh, what what television? ACC Network, uh, NC State, and Clemson got moved to a- ABC at three thirty. Wow. So that's why we're 
Well, you know, yeah. since people will be so fired up about the Richmond Virginia Tech game, right. and go from that to the, the big ACC game. And when yeah. we should note that you're not going to find out what time the Notre Dame game is no. going to be until it'll be you know, six twelve day days old. before yeah. kickoff, right. or maybe even six. Maybe, maybe they'll six, exercise yeah. their six day option. Well, actually, it the Notre Dame game is confirmed to be on ACC Network already. That's, yes, so it could be earlier, right? Because they don't have to worry about shifting it to ABC or right. anything like right. that, right? That's true. The and announcement then, of it. Um, yes, but you would assume that would be the night game on the ACC I would think that so. week. I'm thinking count your blessings about it being a noon game because UVA yeah. played at 11. Yeah. <laughs> Versus a Power 5 team. <clears throat> yeah, well, they, they don't have to worry about – I mean, you've got a, you got so many time slots these days that you've got to fill for TV purposes. You might as well put the team on television whose fans don't go to games at 11 o'clock. Zing. So, yeah, the crowd didn't exactly look full in Charlottesville. It wasn't full in Blacksburg either, but it was still twice as many people as what it looked like <laughs> in Charlottesville. So Oof. so you guys, you guys know who Riley Wyatt is. Yes. Uh, Riley graduated from the SMA program, right? Yeah, she did. A uh, couple of years ago. 2019. Yeah. She graduated. So, so Riley got a job working for Channel 29 in Charlottesville. And, uh, you know. Being a Hokie, being in Charlottesville, she, she's done a fine job. And she has uh, announced fairly recently that her next gig is going to be in quotes this fall. She was not specific about the date yes. in uh, Richmond. And and Riley has, uh, I don't want to put Riley on the spot here, but she's been less kind to UVA ever since she <laughs> you know, got the announcement that she's going to Richmond. Some of her tweets on uh, Saturday seemed like a little subtle jabs they, at the they, UVA they were, crowd, were just a little poke. poke. There, there was one at the UVA crowd, and that's why I brought that up. And, and I can't remember what it was she said. <laughs> what are you going to do, fire me? I'm already leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... it's uh, it's not exactly her main account. I don't think she'd do that on her main account. I don't think so either. Riley's got a burner account that if you know what it is, then, <laughs> then you know to look for it. Uh, All right. You want to answer a few West Virginia questions before, yeah, or are we'll, we going to we'll say I don't know anything about them. We haven't done any so, research I mean, like, I, I, The only player I can name on their team is Doug Nestor. Yes. So, <laughs> and that's one of the, the – one question is, who do you match up against Doug Nestor? Mm. I don't think it really matters. Now, Doug's a guard. Nick confirmed. Yeah, right guard. Doug's. Yeah. Because isn't, isn't – was it Hudson or Nestor that left because he wanted to play tackle? Do you remember? That's the I don't party know that, line. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't Hudson, but I don't think that's why Nestor left. I think Nestor right. left because his buddies go to West Virginia and his girlfriend goes to West Virginia. All right. That's, that's, I think that's the main reason he left. Yeah. So, anyway, he is a guard, and he and so um, – I don't know. Um, I – I'm not good at studying strengths and weaknesses of offensive linemen because I never played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will is a former offensive lineman. Maybe yeah. be a better candidate. Well, well you answer can answer that, that question. question right there. Yeah, I don't know if Nestor's better. <laughs> too too against, many concussions. I, I don't know if Nestor's better against quick guys or, or bigger, stronger guys. So I'm, he's, I'm, uh, so he's, I don't he's know. weighing in at three hundred twenty. Correct, Nestor. He's yep. like six six. Six four weighing did, in. Did they list him at six four? We yeah. listed him at six six. Really, three twenty one. Of course we. Of course we list Tanuta at six nine. <laughs> and he magically grew two inches since last year. So right. maybe, maybe, maybe uh, give him another year. He'll reach that magical <laughs> length border of seven feet. <laughs> um, so I, I was hoping that I could divert the question into telling some sort of anecdote, but I can't. I, I can't see any sort of connection. But uh, yeah, who who knows? You know, I, I don't know if if like Narell. I thought Narell Pyler was fairly quiet against Middle Tennessee. Um, Maybe he'll have something for, for Doug Nestor. Maybe he'll be too quick for him. Or maybe Jordan Williams will be a better matchup, something like that. Jordan Williams was good against Middle Tennessee. Yeah. All well, right. Justin Fuente has started his press conference. Nick, we have an update from David Cunningham. Yep. To answer all of the uh, questions regarding James Mitchell, it is season-ending knee surgery, and we'll have it later this week. Yeah, so Mitchell's So he does not clarify if it's ACL or doesn't really matter. Season-ending <laughs> knee surgery is season day knee surgery so. yeah so so people ask they there's there's always somebody who comes on the message boards after the games and says any new any injury news and and i'll repeat what i always say fuente will tell you if somebody's season is over but he basically won't tell you anything yeah. other than that yeah. so um yeah that's well and it was interesting we rewatched the play where he got hurt right before the podcast and he popped right back up walked under his own pa- i mean obviously you can walk on a t- uh, if it is a torn ACL, not sure what the knee injury yeah. is, but it didn't seem like he was in all that much pain. Uh, well, ACLs, 
generally a lot of times they're like that. I mean, this is before y'all's time, but I remember being at the practice where Grant Knoll tore his ACL in the spring of 2002. He popped right back up and was walking, but he was doing something just kind of like he was trying to shake his leg out. And I knew immediately it was a torn ACL. Yeah. Like, if it had been a sprained knee and he was just in a tremendous amount of pain, he would have been on the ground. But a torn ACL, I, to me, a lot of times when you see that injury, like the reactions don't necessarily indicate that it would be a serious injury, which, it all, which is why it always worries me when – a guy kind of gets up and he's kind of limping, but at the same time he's walking off under his own power. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything, you know. Sometimes the injury is more significant than it seems, and it seems like, uh, like even Fuente said after the game that the training staff told him that Mitchell was was fine. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and if he was being honest about that, then uh, either the training staff totally misdiagnosed it, or Mitchell just woke up on Sunday morning and his knee was swollen all to hell, and it was like, uh oh. So, this is much worse than I thought it was. So let's analyze it. What does this mean? Uh, well, I mean, Tech is Tech has two other good tight ends. I mean, Julius and, and Gallo are, are solid players. No, they're going to be able to – I mean, the playbook itself is not going to change or anything like that. You can't ask them to do some certain things that maybe – they're not, not going to be as dynamic as, like, oh, you put Mitchell in the slot and he's able to run – that slant pattern and break a tackle and, and have a good game. Uh, my biggest concern is uh, this this offense is limited in its personnel when it comes to having a lot of guys who can generate big plays. And James Mitchell can catch a pass out on the flat against UNC, slap a couple guys on the helmets and send them flying through the air and then take off for 20 yards. Yeah. So you're down one guy who can do that, and there's just not a lot of others who can well, you're losing a big playmaking guy in Mitchell, but it does seem like this offense is more about scheme than about those weapons. It seems like as long as you got Braxton Burmeister back there who's throwing the football and you don't have to go into some of the younger quarterbacks, there's going to be some options for the team. It's more about scheme because it has to be more about scheme because there aren't that many playmakers on the offense, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, this is a like Middle Tennessee runs a pit-like defense, as we discussed. And if you remember back in 2016 – uh, Fuente being on the sideline and, and the camera was on him and he was mic'd up and he was telling Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips and Bucky Hodges, all right, listen, we know what kind of defensive coverage they're going to play and there's only one way to beat that. And it's not by scheme. It's by beating their cornerbacks and defensive backs yeah. in man coverage, just, yeah. just outplaying them. And he said, they're not going to change what they're doing and we're not going to change yeah. what so I'm doing. So you have to make doing. plays to win this football game. Yeah. And they did it. And Middle Tennessee comes out and, and runs a similar defense, and text, re, text receivers can't do it. Yeah. So uh, I think the other thing you'll see disappear is they've been using Mitchell a fair amount on the uh, on the sweep down on the goal line. So uh, yes. be interesting to see. I, I don't think they tried that with Gallo. Maybe Dulius. Wasn't Dulius closer to being a wide receiver early in his career? Well, he was a, physically. He, well, he played outside receiver in high school. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna do that sweep with anybody, it would be it, no, it would be Blumrick. Yeah, this is true. That's true. But if, if Blumrick wasn't so skinny, I'd be like, put him at tight end. But right. he's pretty thin. Well, right now. You, you know, well, you're just not going to run that play to a tight end now. Is what you're yeah, gonna that's do. right. Yeah. Well, and Nick brings up a good point. Taysom Hill could that kind of be what Blumrick fits into now if they try and put him at tight end a little bit more? That's a good question because now the thing is, like, I have no idea if he can catch. I assume he can because he was at tight end at Texas A. He was. Yeah, but the, the 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 main thing he was, but you know, it's still hard to say because. Like he didn't never played, right? Right. Um, at least not outside special teams. But generally, quarterbacks do have good hands because these days they're not under center; they're catching shotgun snaps, and you have to have soft hands to do that. Yep. So I don't think that would be an issue for him. Um, I just wonder, just wild thought. I just wonder if we're going to see Blumerk in the slot at all, filling that James Mitchell role. I don't think you'll see him in line trying to block. I don't think he's no, big no, no, yeah. no, no, absolutely not. So, but yeah. maybe just kind of those gadget plays like you mentioned the tight end jet sweep could it be him who's taking it yeah. it'll be interesting to see how brad cornelson maneuvers this without james mitchell and we're going to analyze the loss of james mitchell a lot more on wednesday's podcast as we get set for west virginia yeah. 
I think that closes episode 190. I want to ask Chris, what is coming up on TechSideline.com this week? Normal week of content. Uh, we'll have a couple Brandon Patterson pieces. I'll do an inside the numbers. We'll have another podcast. I assume you're doing Monday thoughts today. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I've got I've got enough in my head that it'll go into an article a day and be up by four or five o'clock. Uh, so normal week of content. Now that we're into Saturday games instead of a Friday game. Yeah. And then I'm sure David will have something on the press conference today and James Mitchell's loss as well. So. Yes. Justin Fuente speaking to the media right now, and then we'll also have Tech Talk Live notes tomorrow as Jack Bresendine is in studio with us today. He'll write those up well, as thank well. Thank God we're in then because my right arm and my right leg have fallen asleep. <laughs> I've been trying to keep it as, <laughs> as short as possible. We had to wait for Fuente to take the mic, but yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll sort out Chris's mic book well, by we'll, the next time too. We'll get Chris hooked up with what we got there, and then when the new boom arm comes in, he'll, he'll have the, the rocket thing. Man, that thing's almost a $500 boom arm. It's going to be awesome. Well, hopefully he won't be able to break, pull it off the table like he did well, last Well, it, it, it's so awesome it might tip the table over all by itself, <laughs> so we'll see. Well, that'll do it for episode 190 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. I want to thank Will Stewart, our founder and general manager across the way. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman to my left, lead analyst and columnist at Tech Sideline. You can find him at Chris Coleman TSL. Nick Brown doing a good job in the seat to the right. And behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best producer in the land. I'm Jake Lyman signing off today, and we will talk to you later on this week to get you ready for West Virginia. Have a great week, Hokies fans. We'll see you next time.